0: you Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we get to our first Godard film, Breathless, we are going to give you some recommendations this week. Ian, Would you mind going first? I would love to. Thank you. Uh, So I've been watching a lot of
1: good stuff recently. Actually, this morning, I just for the first time uh, watched uh, the 1968 version of Thomas Crown Affair. That's not my recommend to go with Breathless. I just wanted to bring that up because it was a goddamn good film. And Steve McQueen was cool as always. And Faye Dunaway was a stone-cold fox. And I just love me a good 60s crime caper. But... um, my recommend to go with Breathless this week is Louis Mel's 1958 Elevator to the Gallows. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I I believe it. I might be wrong, but I think it might have been in the book at one point in a in a much earlier edition. I don't know. I didn't I didn't try to track down the list of what's come and gone, but uh, he's got three in the book at the moment. Not this one, Elevator to the Gallows, but he does have Murmur of the Heart, Atlantic City, and Au Revoir Les Enfants, otherwise known as Goodbye Children. Um, the the basic IMDb plot of this one is a self-assured businessman murders his employer, the husband of his mistress, which unintentionally provokes an ill-fated chain of events. Which, again, like a lot of those IMDb quick little one-sentence synopsis doesn't really do it justice, because this film is really all about dark, twisted ironies and and fatalism and and fate and all that all that that great stuff um there's there's really three plot lines to this one there's a guy named tavernier who is a sort of ex-foreign legion guy who works for this shady businessman kind of gun runner sort of they don't tell you exactly what he does but he's got a reputation about town kind of thing he's having tavernier is having an affair with his boss's wife she has convinced him Uh, to kill her husband so they can run off together uh, which he does and in a very sort of stupid way a sort of uh, you know he's in a rush to get out of the the building he forgets his little uh, grapple that he uses to get up from his balcony to his boss's balcony all sneaky like and then ends up going back inside and then getting stuck in the elevator after the security guard powers down uh, the building for the the weekend. And then what happens from there is she is left wondering, well, where is he? And she's wandering the streets and she's losing her mind. And then on top of that, you also have these two young kids, the flower girl across the street who knows Tavernier fairly well because he's always buying uh, flowers in there for his mistress. And uh, this flower girl, she's uh, in with this young punk who decides to steal Tavernier's car and they go off into the countryside and they themselves end up getting them into quite a lot of trouble when they murder this German couple. Um, Like I said, it's just all about those little twisted ironies and all of those, well, if you had done this, this wouldn't have happened, etc. I really love just the, the way that you just watch... One bad decision lead to another and just, you know, shake your head at, wow, this this couldn't be any worse for these people. And it's got an absolutely incredible jazz score by the great Miles Davis himself, who, rumor has it, wrote the entire score in one evening while he was drinking champagne with the director and the the lead actress played by um, uh, Jean Moreau, or Jeanne Moreau, sorry, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that, as we do often on this show.
0: Hey, that's not, one of the staples of the show, man.
1: That's right. Not not deliberately and not to be offensive. It's just I think it's something we've kind of embraced. Uh I, this is I a film. So. This is a film like like the one we're about to discuss is also in the Criterion collection and has a I saw one of the a couple of the taglines for it. one of the, the the great taglines for this film when it came out was it's more Hitchcock than Hitchcock. Oh,
0: okay. All right.
1: And it's it's kind of following in the, the vein of a, a touch of evil that we talked about quite a few episodes back, where it was one of the the earliest films to use multiple plot lines and a lot of cross cutting back and forth between what's happening and forcing the audience to hey, you can't just nod off during this one. You've actually got to pay attention to three different, very not I wouldn't say complex storylines, but you know you don't want to. It's not one you want to go nodding off during. It's just a, a great little French crime caper.
0: Awesome. Well, there you have it. I mean, y- y- you know, it's French and crime and that that's a pretty good tie into what we're going to talk about today. Um I would love to just piggyback on what you said earlier about uh this was a. I, I I feel like this was a good week of of movies that I watched. Um a lot of first-time viewings. I finally I finally per your request watched Gross Point Blank. Very much oh, enjoyed great. that.
1: That that's awesome. I'd love to hear that. That is a uh that's a film that I discovered in one of Empire Magazine's big deluxe edition uh, editions, where they had uh, counted down the 500 greatest films of all time according to their readers, and Gross Point Blank was literally number 500.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was a fun movie to watch. We definitely enjoyed it. Um, and then yeah, just throughout the week, we we watched a bunch of good movies. Now we did a double feature last night, and I'm not going to mention it yet because I think it'll come up throughout the episode a little bit, but. I can't lie. I do have to give a shout out to, to two movies now. I'll, one I'll just do really quick because I, I feel like if you've seen it, you probably are going to poo poo on it. But the second one, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed. So, the, my my first recommend is *Den of Thieves*. Have you seen *Den of Thieves*? Oh, I've not. Isn't
1: that didn't they drop that on on Netflix? It's on some streaming service recently.
0: Um, it 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 might be. Um, I I think the first time I watched it, it was on you know one of the the kind of pay cable channels or whatever it was. But um, it it is it's like a not so good version of heist that was made a few years ago. Um, And instead of getting, you know, Pacino and De Niro meeting, it's, it's uh, Pablo Schreiber and, and draw Gerard Butler. But here's the thing. It, I, I think as, as heist movies go, there hasn't been a great one in a while. And, and maybe to call this movie great is a bit silly, but it's dark. It's nasty. It's, it's a heist movie. There's a lot of slick camera shit. I, I liked it. It's it's doesn't have a great Rotten Tomato score, but fuck that. I really enjoyed this movie. I do recommend it. But here's the movie that I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed. And Melissa bought it for me as a gift on a whim. And I am talking about the 1997 Alicia Silverstone Benicio Del Toro film Excess Baggage. Have you seen Excess Baggage?
1: I've heard of it. I remember uh, I remember it was one of the the many VHS that we were trying to flog in the days at the video store when VHS were kind of going
0: out of fashion. So this is directed by Marco Brambilla, whose only other credit that I know of off the top of my head is Demolition Man. Um so but well, there's it, a
1: cult following for that.
0: I know, I yeah, there definitely is. Um but so here's the thing. It, it it's Alicia Silverstone has a a father who is He's kind of a drug guy, you know. He's he's definitely into some shady shit. Um, and she basically wants his attention, and so she basically tries to plan a fake kidnapping. Uh, and she puts her she basically finds a way to, to to tie herself up, handcuff herself, you know, put tape around her mouth, and put herself in the back of her car, just as Benicio del Toro, who was a car thief, comes and breaks into the car. And it's sort of these two people who shouldn't be together in a situation. And now Benicio's getting wrapped up in her mess because she wasn't actually, you know, her fake kidnapping kind of became a real kidnapping. And then uh, Benicio del Toro, who's kind of a professional car thief, who needs to get cars to like somebody who wants them. Um, Now that, I won't say how, but his place kind of goes up in flames. And now he's in shit too. So now they're both involved in each other's, you know, kind of, you know, weird lives. Um, but it's oddly captivating and, and I don't know why, cause I don't feel like their chemistry should work, but it does. Christopher Walken is in it too. Uh, who, and I mean, I mean, who you can't just, you know, it's Christopher Walken. He, he makes anything a little bit better. Um, and then just for you know, for, uh, total, like, n- n- like nostalgic reasons, it's, it takes place in Washington. So I was like, Oh, that's great too. Um, and it's just like it's definitely like in the vein of a gross point blank, right? It's definitely comedic, but there's some actiony stuff with guns and like a plot that kind of keeps it going forward. But I just thought this was such a fun movie. Like this was a um, this was a, a have a bottle of wine and and I don't want to I don't want to discredit the movie by say that I didn't have to think a lot, but I didn't have to think a lot, and it was great to just let the movie be what it was. I found it. I don't know. Very fun to watch, and as as like lost gems from the '90s go, I highly recommend this one. Melissa got it because the 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 DVD uh, or the, or the Blu-ray they, it's been made to look like an old school VHS cover, um, which they did for a couple of a couple of movies like that. So um, she bought it on a whim and never seen it before either. And we both we just really enjoy the movie, and and I I think as satisfying movies go, in that sense. I really enjoyed it. So, Excess Baggage, I, I, I give a strong recommendation, to.
1: Oh, That's that's interesting. You wouldn't think that those two would, would necessarily work well together, but that's awesome to hear. And I've always had well, kind of a soft spot for Alicia Silverstone, anyway. I think she is phenomenally talented. She's obviously drop-dead gorgeous, but she kind of disappeared there for a while, and then it was really awesome to see her pop back up in that little weird role in uh, Killing of the Sacred Deer.
0: Oh God, that's right. She is in that. I totally God, that movie. Oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed, enjoyed it. Um, and actually that was, that was another double feature night. We watched that in source code, which I also really enjoyed, but didn't bring it up.
1: Yeah, source code was interesting. I I remember having some problems with the ending, as I do with a lot of movies, but Jellen Hall is really good in that and it's directed by by Bowie's son as well, uh, Duncan Jones. He does Duncan some Duncan Jones. Yeah. yeah, he does some interesting stuff. I really dug Moon.
0: Yeah, yeah, Moon is one of those like I, I probably enough people haven't seen. Yeah, that's a good flick too. But we should probably get into it. We should probably get into talking about Breathless. Um Written and directed by Jean-Luc Godard. And this, uh, um, for the
1: record, is uh, both of ours, our first Godard, right?
0: It is. It, uh, yeah, it is. I, I And I definitely, I mean, you know, he, he gets, you know, it's like, you know, Godard and Truffaut and uh, Kurosawa and, and, you know, just all of these, you know, foreign aute- auteurs out there who, you know, who make all these classic cinemas, you know. And, yeah, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of movies out there. We haven't gotten to Godard yet, but now we have, so... There we go. Um, So in terms of the cast, you know, this movie really just revolves around two people. You know, it it revolves around Jean-Paul Belmondo, who plays Michelle, and Gene Seberg, who plays uh, Patricia. Um, uh, You know, there's, I mean, I'm looking at the name. I I only watched this two days ago, and I'm not even quite sure the names of a lot of these people. I know, so we have uh, Daniel Bollinger. I'm probably saying that wrong as uh police inspector Vatel, He's the one who's trying to, you know, catch up with him and, and, you know, get, get the cuffs on him. Um, and I, I'm looking at these names and I don't quite know who any of these characters are besides Jean-Pierre Melville, who plays uh, Parvulesco, um, who is, uh, who um, uh, Gene Seberg is sort of interviewing at that little press conference. Um, it was kind of fun to see him in this.
1: Yeah, he's he's playing an Italian writer, and and for anybody who's been keeping up, we did a great little episode on uh, one of his films, La Samurai*, which I know we both came to really love.
0: That was so so half of my double feature last night was La Samurai*, and I haven't I haven't watched it since.
1: Oh, did you you show it to Melissa?
0: Yes. Yep. That was sort of the the I, she hadn't she didn't see it when we watched it for the pod, so it was it was great to get her to see it too. And did she dig it? Yeah, she did like it. Yeah. Um hard to say how much she doesn't like endings like that. Um, but I think she did for the most part. I think she liked it. Um, so, so help me out. Is who, who else do do you want to throw any love to anybody else? I mean, I have like eight names, but this is such a movie about Michelle and Patricia that I don't even know who else you really want to give any love to.
1: Well, I mean, Godard has a, a small, uh, cameo as the snitch. And, and then we've also got Richard Balducci as, uh, Tol- Tolmachov, who is the guy that uh, Michelle is constantly trying to get a hold of and and seems like uh, he can't throughout the, the bulk of the film. Uh, and then we've got uh, Henry Jacques Huet as Antonio Berruti and Roger Henin as Carl Zubart were the only ones that I made uh, note of.
0: Yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, and that's not, not a knock on anybody in the movie specifically. I just... You know... It, it, some of the people are really only in there for a scene and then they're gone. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I know. Stuff,
1: Zubart stuff. is just there at the end. And then Antonio Baruti, I mean, he's got a handful of scenes, but didn't really leave quite an impression on me. I mean, I don't want to go talking shit straight out of the gate, but Huet's reading of most of his lines was utter garbage. And we can get into maybe that wasn't all necessarily his fault, but we can talk about post-synchronization as we go through the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, Jean-Luc Godard, he's got a few other movies in the book. Let's just quickly go through those. Um, His movies that are also in the book are My Life to Live, uh, 1962, Contempt, 1963, Alphaville, also 1963, uh, uh, Perrault Goes Wild, 1965, Masculine Feminine in 1966, Two or Three Things I Know About Her and Weekend from both 1967. Um, Talking about some accolades, uh, it does have a few. Um, the BAFTAs nominated Gene Seberg as Best Foreign Actress. Um, The Cahiers du Cinema, that we've also, but it's like our new Kansas City film critics thing, um, uh, said it was the third best film of the year. Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, you have that right. Behind uh, Antonioni's La Ventura and uh, Mizuguchi's Sancho the Bailiff.
0: Ah, I I have heard of both of those movies. Yeah. I have not seen either of
1: them. I'm I'm very excited to He's Antonioni's another guy that's very high up on my list as of directors of I've never seen one of those movies and I know as a cinephile that I've Antonioni is up there on the list of people that you should be aware of, you know.
0: I I have only seen I've seen one. I've seen one. I've seen Red Desert. I
1: heard I heard that was interesting. Uh Marin was talking about that on a podcast ages ago.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It is a it's a weird flick. Yeah, he it's he sounds
1: like flick. an Antonioni fan. He was he's really been talking about uh, the Passenger a lot lately, the film that Antonioni did with uh, Nicholson.
0: Oh, okay, all right. Um, the French Syndicate of Cinema Critics gave it Best Film. It tied with Latreau. Um, now, and those are all those were all the accolades I found that were like when it came out at the time. I did find that uh, in 2012, uh, Sight and Sound did a poll. Um, and it was the number, the 13th best film, um, and uh, the director's poll uh, also, uh, the, or it came at 11th in that list of movies.
1: And on their director's poll, Godard is number third uh, behind Wells and Hitchcock.
0: Uh-huh, okay, all so right. Pretty, pretty um, high
1: placement, pretty prestigious list to be on.
0: Yes, yes, I I would say so too. I mean, even um, even Kubrick
1: is, doesn't crack the top five. I think he's number six or seven.
0: Okay, okay. Um, that's a that's that's tough. That's a tough beat. Um, this movie is not currently on the IMDb top two fifty. Um, it has a Rotten Tomato score of ninety seven critical and ninety percent audience. Um, so I did pull Ebert's great movie review. I'm not sure what you grabbed.
1: Oh, you didn't go looking for Mr. Crowder?
0: Oh, I did not. I I just immediately thought foreign film. I didn't even I didn't even bother with Bosley. Oh, oh I have I, have I have Bosley and he
1: had some choice things to say, let me tell you. I'm very excited I to share this can't with you.
0: Wait. I can't wait to hear this.
1: Oh, this is great. So Bosley Crowder, writing for the New York Times as he did, said As sordid as is the French film Breathless which came to the fine arts yesterday and sorted really is a mild word for its pile-up of gross indecencies. It is withal a fascinating communication of the savage ways and moods of some of the rootless young people of Europe and America today. Made by Jean-Luc Godard, one of the newest and youngest of the new wave, new wave in, in, uh quotations, of experimental directors who seem to have taken over the cinema in France. It goes at its unattractive subject in an eccentric photographic style that sharply conveys the nervous tempo and the emotional erraticalness, I don't think that's a word, of the story it tells. And through the American actress Jean Seberg and a hypnotically ugly new young man by the name of John Paul Balmondo it projects to downright fearsome characters. This should be enough right now to warn you that this is not a movie for the kids For or for that easily shockable individual who used to be known as the old lady from Dubuque. It is emphatically unrestrain- unrestrainedly vicious, completely devoid of moral tone, concerned mainly with eroticism and the restless drives of a cruel young punk to get along. There, There's a little bit more, but that's... He makes his point, I think, uh, in the way that he does. He's, he's never one to uh, pull
0: punches. You know, it, that's... <sighs> I, I think I try to think often about, you know what it is for a movie to be obscene back then. And like, yeah, you know, Michelle is is kind of his mind's kind of in the gutter you know, throughout most of the movie. but I feel like by by today's standards, obviously, this movie's quite tame, actually. It is not as indecent as one would think. But yeah, yeah, that's but yeah, I, I Bowsley certainly had a uh about Bowsley Bowsley certainly had a, a, a strong reaction to it it sounds like
1: yeah very very nineteen very turn of the century 1920s 1930s sort of uh, sensibilities, yeah um, which, which always makes him just a joy to read,
0: yeah, so you know that's that's actually great. I'm not gonna read from Ebert's thing that I pulled because I, I gl- I'm glad that you found a review that's that's current um and of the time um and and I'll, I'll come back to that in a second so let's just the movie is it's kind, of, it's kind of a great nutshell movie um um we have uh Jean-Paul Belmondo who plays Michel and he is trying he steals a car and we don't quite know where he is on his way to but he um and kind of speeding around he gets pulled over by a police o- well he pulls off the road a police officer finds him And he shoots him. And now he's on the run for killing a cop. And as he comes into town, he has a pre-existing relationship with Patricia. who's played by Gene Seberg. And essentially the movie is him trying to convince her to come to Rome with him. And he's, because he's on the run. He's trying to get away. Um, And the movie is essentially just kind of their exploits in Paris, uh, she is trying to make it as a journalist. Um, she has seen somebody kind of romantically, kind of to get leads, but hard to say if she actually cares for him. Hard to say if she actually cares uh, for Michel, to be quite honest. Um, and it's it's a series of conversations and um, uh, you know little adventures through Paris. Ultimately, uh, what happens though is uh, spoiler alert for a film that's this old. Uh, Patricia turns in Michel who uh, at the end of the movie is gunned down and um, you know, we can talk a little bit about, you know, what the significance of the end lines mean and what the translation issues have been kind of in the past. But I I would like, Ian, I'd like to start with this. Um, Obviously this movie made Ebert's great movies uh, list, you know, the book that he's done a couple versions of, he clearly liked this movie. Um, The sight and sound polls rank it really high. There's a lot of love for Godard. Um, I wasn't as let down as I was by Aguirre, uh, but pretty let down by this movie, if I'm being totally honest with you.
1: Yeah, I I would say that uh, if we weren't doing this for an episode, I very rarely turn off movies. Like, if I'm in, I'm in, uh, especially with something as recent as the last Jurassic Park, I got you know 45 minutes into that movie and i was like you know what i've come this far i'm going to stick it out let's just see how bad this thing gets if we weren't doing this for the pod i would have shut this movie off at the 40 minute mark
0: yeah yeah um, cuz so, i
1: did not give a
0: fuck can i can i ask you i want to ask you a question uh, unrelated to movies just kind of a, just a question in life does 6 p.m. sound like a late time to you no no not at all not at all um uh sophie didn't have a nap the day that i watched it so she went to bed like 5 45 she crashed um stella and and my and my wife melissa were were in the garage uh she was playing my wife was sewing and i was like cool man i've got i'm out on the big tv i don't got to worry about anything i got my laptop up i'm ready to watch this movie i almost fell asleep four different times and this movie is short it was not a late night. I wasn't tired. This movie almost put me to sleep on four separate occasions.
1: It it goes on the list of one of the longest ninety-minute movies I've ever seen. And
0: that's a that's a, and honestly, that's probably one of the worst lists to be on.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's not a prestigious list.
0: No, and and like I wh- and I okay okay. Let me let me come in. So now let's t- let's talk a little bit about what. Okay, I'm, I I didn't know if you'd be on the same page as me. So I I have some things I want to bring up, and I want to hear I want to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's go right to one of the things that I read a lot about when I was researching this movie, and that's the jump cuts. I want to ask about those. What what is your immediate thought when you think about those? Well. <sighs>
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Godard speak for himself. Uh, he said the success of Breathless was a mistake, and he added that there used to be just one way. There was one way you could do things. There were people who protected it like a copyright, a secret cult only for the initiated. That's why I don't regret making Breathless and blowing that all apart. Uh, he described his and his colleagues' impact as we barged into the cinema like cavemen into the Versailles, which is just a really great thing to say. So that doesn't really answer your, your question specifically about the jump cuts. I mean, I'm fine with them. They're not really that impressive, but I, before we start shitting on this movie, cause I'm going to assume that's going to happen a lot. I, I get it. Like to try and put yourself in the mindset of, and we have to remember as we go through this thing, we've got the, 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 the luxury of, of looking back at it literally 60 years later.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, Like, I I get it. I understand why at the time it was important and impactful and how some people perceived that it it changed cinema. I don't get why it's responsible for starting a movement because you also had, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we had guys like Louis Mel and we we have guys like uh, Truffaut who I think just did things better. And now this is, again, only the first Godard movie that I've seen and I'm not... I'm not hesitant to go and seek out more, but I'm definitely not going to be as excited to check out another one of his as I would be a truffaut one.
0: Yeah, that, it's funny, and that's uh, part of the reason. Because I I didn't really plan this week out. Like I pulled a bunch of movies off of the shelf that I was like, "Man, with Breathless coming up," and I I, I you know just a little bit that I knew about it, which wasn't honestly wasn't that much. I I I tried to not do enough research that I that like the story gets blown for me if I haven't seen the movie before right so I pull a bunch of things off the shelf and I saw the Samurai and I was like yes yes French kind of in the realm crimey and Melissa hasn't seen it and that was part of it like I, I wanted to re I wanted to revisit it with her and so I'm so glad you brought up Truffaut and I want to bring up Melville because like the second that Le Samurai finished last night. I was like, man, I'm so bummed. I don't own uh, Bob Le Flamblor or or Le Cirque Rouge. I was like, I want to watch another one of his right now. And the way that I I I felt after 400 blows, I immediately was like, man, I I do. I want to watch another True Faux film. I'm so bummed because from what I could tell, and and like I also just so happened to listen to a podcast, um, ranking the the ten best non foreign films, and somebody had put breathless on it's like oh man that's okay that's awesome like the timing of this is perfect i can't wait to watch it and again i wasn't as let down but i was maybe just more i'm more baffled by the the respect that it has and i I, yeah
1: underwhelmed is is the adjective that i'm probably going to use ad nauseum during this podcast
0: yeah for sure um and like you know and and maybe so, okay. So, okay. So I want to come back to the jump cuts for a second, because obviously th- there's a few early on, like there's a couple of jump cuts around. Um, there's a guy who gets hit by a car early on, kind of early on in the movie. Um, and which, first, which
1: why that, that serves no purpose. It goes
0: nowhere. It, it feels like well, there's it something mis-
1: It feels like there's something missing from that scene, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, totally. But the, the other thing about it is okay. So the, the jump cut happens and it, it, it doesn't seem very creative. It seems more like we don't have the practical way to shoot a guy getting hit by a car, so we're gonna film it in this way where you know the the violence happens off screen, sound of a car, it stops, bodies on the ground. Our mind fills in the gaps, and that's great. But it, it it seemed it seemed more like the way to fix a problem. So I thought, okay, so maybe the jump cuts are gonna work like that, you know. We're going to condense, you know, 10 seconds of story into three seconds, which doesn't sound like a lot of time. But, you know, if you do it enough, sure, you can you can certainly shorten down your movie that way. And I'm thinking, OK, that's that's how these are going to these are, That's how this is going to work. But then there was a moment later in the movie where the police are tailing Patricia and Michelle is trailing the police officer who's who's tailing her. And there's a scene where, like, I think the camera I want to say is inside like a cafe and it's it you see you, you see Patricia walk by jump cut there come now here comes the detective jump cut and then here comes here comes Michelle and then i thought okay well why are we why are we doing it here because they were walking so close in distance anyway there was no there didn't seem to be any practical reason as to why you do that and and honestly the jump cuts either seemed to me to be a way to work around something that they couldn't legitimately shoot or a way to just like make a scene shorter, but there didn't seem to be really any creative reason as to why the jump cuts work that way.
1: And that's, and you're with that second reason, you're absolutely right. So uh, Melville who uh, Godard showed an early cut of the film, he, he said to him, you know, the, the movie's too long. You've got to do something. It's it's 30 minutes too long for distribution. And so Melville suggested removing full scenes that slowed the film down, including his own as the writer, which I really want to talk about that. Don't, don't let me forget. I want to come back to that. I really want to talk about that scene. You got it. Uh, but instead of doing that, Godard just started arbitrarily, it seems like, trimming bits and pieces here and there, which sort of created in air quotes, the, the jump cut style. And so it, it almost seems like this, yeah, you're right, this isn't a creative choice, it's, it's a way around a problem and it's, it's really arbitrary and if considering how celebrated it is, it's, it's sort of meaningless. It sort of takes away from the genius of it, and I use the word genius if you couldn't tell, very sarcastically and sort of <laughs> derivatively it's it's i i don't i don't see all this genius that that people have raved about that cinephiles and, and film fans have raved about now i'm really surprised that you you did a film class you did you did a film with a film studies or some sort of film history and the did this film come up at all in any discussions? I mean, it doesn't. It well, doesn't sound like you guys watched it. I mean, you did Birth of a Nation instead for some
0: goddamn reason. Well, okay, so 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 two things. One, we actually didn't do Birth of a Nation. I watched that movie in anticipation, patient like thinking it would come up. It didn't, and I regret it. As film film decisions go, it's one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. Oh,
1: sorry. I I, I thought that you had done that in class. That's, sorry, no, my
0: no. Mind. But but so the class that I did at Western was a big. It was a big like survey course with like 400 students. Um, we didn't watch a whole lot of film or have a great discussions, I would say about any of them. Um, but no, this movie did not come up and you know, and, and I, 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 we won't get into why some movie we watch certain movies and not others because we only ended up watching like in the eight films over the course of the, of the class. Um, but yeah, the, like, and at first I thought, okay, well, Okay, maybe maybe the jump cuts. Sure, maybe that's that's what it is too. But then I I I want to say that I really had heard a lot of things about the dialogue in this movie, like the way in which the characters talk and spoke and interacted, and maybe I was looking for either like I don't know, like I, you know, and, and maybe it's weird because I, I you know the the two the two most recent French films that we've covered that I can at least think of in my mind are Le Samurai and The Four Hundred Blows, and. The 400 blows was such a like very realistic coming of age kind of story, and maybe because we're both men, and you know, just like you know, seeing this young boy go through his his struggles, maybe it just registers more with us in that way. And then the samurai, the dialogue is so sparse. the The direction is really, I find it really interesting. I there's just a lot of there's a lot of things to pull you in. The dialogue in this seemed. Like, it was trying to be naturalistic at times, but then also, is Michel just the the horniest man in the world or just the man who wants to explain how horny he is? Like, I don't, What what, who is he? What are we doing with him?
1: Yeah, I mean, he just, it seems, and they they go out of their way to make sure that we know that he wants to be Bogart, and he really, really wants to sleep with Seberg, or excuse me, Patricia. There's literally a section of the film, in a 90-minute movie, I mean, I I clocked this, he spends 28-ish minutes trying to convince her to go to Rome and to sleep with him. Like, that's, we're going to spend 28 fucking minutes of the movie on this? Like, again, I know we have the hindsight of living in the, the more politically correct times that we live in. But this guy is just a fucking sex pest. Like, I do
0: not give a shit about him at all. Well, and then, like, at one point when they're they're both in her room and it's it's maybe the longest scene of the movie. Yeah, that, that's,
1: that's part of it. That's part of this huge 28 to 30 minute sequence where he's, he's literally just trying to convince her to sleep with him. That's well, and, the whole point of that section of the film.
0: And like, uh, I didn't have, again, I I didn't have many wonderful things to say about this movie, but the two things I wrote down at one point were, well, I at least appreciate that th- there were some very long takes. And I, again, from an act, just from an acting perspective, I, I appreciate that they took the time to learn these lines and it's, they're not a whole lot of cuts. You know, those are people who memorize their lines and were, were responding off of each other, which is great. But the other thing about Dennis, well, those are two good-looking people. I mean, Gene Seberg is very attractive, and while I don't think Jean-Paul Belmondo is the most attractive man, when his shirt was open, I was like, "That dude is cut, man. That guy has like he has like an eight-pack." He and he kept like, and he knew it too. The way he kept like rubbing his hand over his chest, he was like, "Dude, I know how good-looking I am, or "Eh, yeah, good-looking. I know how in shape I am." And and he, and he, the confidence even though he's he's repeatedly being rejected the confidence with with which he keeps going after her it's i don't know if it's something to be like like you know like like marvelled at or stifled i you know it's like it's incredible to watch
1: that i i will give it that that is one of the one of the more positive things i will find to say about this film is yeah you hit it on the head there his confidence is just it fills the room, it fills the frame. Like, you know this guy is so self-aware and he knows what he's about. Maybe Kind of, at least in those sequences anyway. I still have trouble wrapping my mind around why he decides to kill the cop when he is in his mind so smooth that he could have talked his way out of it. And now I'm not trying to, to justify the the decision filmmaking wise because it is based on a, a true story it is based on something that Truffaut read in a magazine of this guy that stole a car and went out to visit his sick mother and on the way either on the way there or the way back ended up killing a cop but it's just it it comes out of nowhere and how about that fourth wall break the, oh my god thank you movie? that was the next note i was gonna oh bring my up god what why if you don't like the mountains, if you don't like the busy city, if you don't like the sea, and then he looks at the camera, get stuffed! Like what? What are we doing here? I don't know. This is, this is a film that's clearly made by a very young, pretentious person, and I I've I've been that person, and so that kind of made me cringe. That sort of level of elitism and and pretension. Now I don't look at elitism necessarily as an insult, but I the, there's there's a there's a certain line that you have to walk there's you've got to be very careful when you rail against the system as godard clearly was and and talking about how a lot of film and especially french film before he started making movies they were very bourgeois and uh you know it was it seemed like filmmaking was for a very elite class of of french people and and he came in and he and he shook up the system but when you when you do that you can come off as being slightly pretentious and and I think that he he comes off as being all the way pretentious
0: yeah no I, I agree and and it's not just in the in the in the fourth wall break but I, you know it's this idea that everything that me I wonder how much Godard thought that everything that Michelle is saying is gonna have some kind of you know relevance or importance put on it but I mean, one of the first lines we hear I, I might even be the first line of the movie I don't, I don't remember but he says after all I'm an asshole
1: and and I I got to the end of the movie and I thought about
0: that line and I said yeah yeah you fucking are well y- yes he is and you know <laughs> this this movie makes me go okay this and I and I get that um like what? Like most of it was written, but then they also they also kind of wrote as they were filming too, is what I seem to read.
1: Yeah, they they had a finished script, but it it doesn't seem like it was really used, and and Godard was feeding them lines, uh, you know, behind the camera for for the bulk of the film. And this this brings us to talking about post synchronization. I know we both had a a huge problem with that when we were talking about Fellini's Eight and a Half because that's yeah. just the way they made films in Italy at the time. Everything was recorded later, and they had to do it on this film simply because of the type of camera that they were using. But it it seems like, I don't know, it changes, it changes the performance, and it changes, I think, some of the intention of some of the dialogue when you have to do it, you know, after the fact
0: like that. Oh, I, I mean, I agree. And as, you know, as interesting as it can be for us to like, you know, watch that YouTube clip of Hugh Jackman in the booth making those running and grunting sounds for Logan, which honestly I see and I applaud him for for putting that much effort into it. But the purpose of ADR as we know it now is to, you know, is to fix mistakes or put in dialogue, you know, like if it's a if it's like an establishing shot or just a shot of like, you know, a scenery. Um, that we can put that in, you know, over the top of it. But obviously, for the purposes of what they were doing back then, it was to put all of it in there. And there's just, I, I could not imagine. I mean, I could, but I couldn't imagine being asked to go back into the booth and then recreate a performance without, without my, 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 my acting partners, without the director. You know, just basically being told to, you know, watch yourself and and match that. And. And sure, actors are supposed to work on a swivel like that, and I get that that's that's partly true, but you're never going to match the same level. You're never going to be exactly the same. That's just, you know, I mean, speaking from just mostly a theater background, you can do a show eight times a week. You could do the same show twice in a day, and depending on how your break goes in between both shows, your performance is going to be slightly different. You bring in different things to each performance and just being asked to come into a booth and try to recreate what you did before is I mean from the actor and me just that's that's insanity you're going to get something but it is not going to be the same thing
1: well especially when you have a similar case like we did with Fellini some of the dialogue was was rewritten between them shooting it and then them re-recording it it just it kind of you it feels a little futile it must feel a little futile as an actor
0: yeah. Well, and that's, that definitely seems to be one of those, you know, a production where really it, it's, it's not so much about the actors as it is about the writer director and, and, you know, I, I'm not going to, I mean, we don't have to go case by case or film by film, but there are directors who, when they make a film, it's, it's their film, right? Kubrick, Hitchcock, for, for for example, it doesn't matter who's in the movie, it's their movie, right? And then sometimes, you know, you get a vehicle like like let's just, you know, a, a recent example would be Joker. Sure. Todd Phillips made that movie, but that's a Walking Phoenix movie. And sometimes it's it's regard it's, you know, the movie revolves around the performance or the script or maybe the effects, right? But when it's a director's movie at the end of the day, they are going to make it however they want to. And so this idea, yeah, of like even changing the dialogue after the fact in post to make it fit more what you want, I mean sure it 's your film you you can do whatever the hell you want to it, but I again, I just coming from the act perspective it's like well now you 're changing what I did, and I get and I get that's that happens in the editing room all the time, even nowadays, but i don't know I just there seems to be such a like it's like it just feels like a slap in the face to the actors oh i I one hundred percent agree so you want let you want to, you want to shift over to Melville?
1: Yeah, though that Parvalesco scene. I, as that scene was happening, again, today's sensibilities, I'm listening to just the inane questioning and then the absolutely absurd answers that comes out of him. It's like, did, did you people really think and talk and, and feel like this back then? This is just, I, I don't have the word for it. This is terrible. This is just pretentious tripe.
0: I mean, and part of what
1: was what one of the questions actually coming from the female reporters, I think, was is uh, do you feel that a woman has a place in modern society? Like, what what kind of fucking question? What what do you mean? What what does that
0: mean? Well, and part of me, part of me was wondering, like, at some at like halfway through that scene, I was going, I you know, is is Melville as Pravalescu, you know, intentionally giving vague kind of shitty answers, right? Cause we don't know much about him, right? He's, he's, he's a, he's a famous writer. Cool. Okay, great. And he's saying these things and maybe he's trying to be contentious and, you know, get in the paper and be somebody that somebody's talking, you know, people are talking about. And that's, that's cool. That's fine. I, I, I think that's interesting that, you know, to kind of ha- have a, a persona like that, but then about halfway through it, I go, what the, f- what? why is it here though? Why is it in this movie? I mean, yeah, that's... no,
1: I, I agree with you. And I, I took the same stance as well. I was like, well, is he kind of, is this deliberate? Is he kind of taking like that Bob Dylan stance? He was very famous for being, uh, you know, very roundabout in his answers and and egging the reporters on to ask him dumber and dumber questions. And and yeah, like you, we're getting towards the end of that conversation. And then that final line of of she asks him, you know what his what his dream is or what his ambition is and he says, I want to become immortal and then die. I wish I had another adjective because I'm gonna just keep using it. That is one of the most pretentious things I've ever fucking heard in my life. I mean <laughs> Like I, I get it. Like I get that you want the fame and you want your work to live on and so therefore you'll be immortal and then if you die you take that away from people in a regard that, you know, they'll there'll be no more of it.
0: So and as much as much as i found a lot of the movie underwhelming there were a few moments that i just straight up didn't didn't like and and one of them is the end now it's not necessarily how the movie ends or you know this idea of what what is actually meant by the ending and what are the real lines and and what gets lost in translation we can talk about that but for for me i uh, my note i wrote here is the way that the violence and chase is handled at the end of the film is fucking comical. And then I went dot, 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 because as he continued, I go, and why is she running after him? And this mo- this movie has been fairly serious, if not just kind of off the cuff. And then this moment happens, and I'm like, Okay, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be feeling, but what I'm actually feeling is a sense of the giggles because I was laughing throughout that entire like he's like slightly jogging down the street after he just been shot. What what are we doing? What am I supposed to feel? Because well, now
1: now they want they want their big noir ending, right? They want their big anti-hero ending and the 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 I don't sacrifice in the right word, but I guess the uh, the, the martyrdom of this
0: character. Right? I mean, oh God, I, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I was, I was as, as an audience of this, of this movie, I was happy that he died. He was not a good person. He killed a cop. He continued to, to, to break the law throughout. Oh, he's, he
1: stole, he stole even when he didn't need to. There's a character that flat out offers him like 500 francs. He says no. And then when she turns it back, he steals it out of her purse anyway. Like what, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, I, like, I, and I get it. You're just a, you're just a punk.
0: You're just a punk. Why, why should we care about you? And and see, I'm and I'm glad we're kind of on the same boat, and I'm glad that we're we're talking about the same the same movies, right? Because again, in a way, the the character in the Four Hundred Blows, well, he's kind of a punk. Now, granted, now granted, totally different characters, totally different ages, and totally different circumstances, right? But if we were just to use that one word to help describe either of them, it'd be hard to deny it, right? They're both kind of punks, right? Oh, absolutely.
1: But, but I feel like he, the, the character in 400 Blows, he's he's a, a punk that we can at least somewhat identify with and empathize with. And he's a punk by circumstance, whereas as Belmondo in this film is a punk seemingly by choice.
0: And that's the... I think all I... I think what... I don't know that's a tough thing to say what I was gonna say is, is I wonder if like one one scene one bit of dialogue one something to help let us know why he is the way he is because he 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 doesn't have to be a good guy he can be who he is but a little a, just a, just a just a little bit of explanation you know if you're gonna have such a dialogue heavy movie which this is, Give us a little bit that actually means something, because so little of what gets said in this movie means anything. It's it's frustrating, man. And oh, it's, it absolutely
1: is. Most of it is flat out. As I mentioned earlier, it's flat out inane.
0: And I know, you know, and you know, off mic, we talk a lot about, you know. We want to pick movies that we actively want to watch or or revisit, you know? Like I know when the when the opportunity came to put 7 on, we were we were thrilled about it, right? Cuz that's a movie we love. And then there are movies like Stalker and 400 Blows where it's like, "Oh fuck me. Dude, I'm so glad we put that on," right?
1: And I was hoping I was going to have the same experience with this because of its yep. reputation because it quote unquote started French New Wave and I I do dig on French New Wave, man.
0: Yeah, and and it's just it's it's funny how many times, and, and it and I know it'll keep happening. I mean that's the purpose. I well, not the purpose. I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, this is such a fascinating experiment. What I feel like what we're doing, right? We're not letting cinema die, and we are not just sticking to the same shit. We are going to pick things that we haven't seen. Godard has a reputation about him, so yeah, we have to get to him. Not not because not begrudgingly either. You know, I know when it when we decided to finally do it, it was like, yeah, Godard, we we haven't seen the guitar no Let's I do it
1: I wanted to 100% I was in I wanted to see this
0: yeah and,
1: and I, 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 I and I don't and I don't regret it I'm just uh really
0: yeah I'm mean, just
1: I'm just I'm just a big
0: ball of meh right now yeah I did I did learn something I did learn something um and apparently it is there is a it's a pretty big faux pas to wear silk socks with a tweed jacket I, yeah no that's definitely a mistake you don't want to make I was now 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 that will never happen for me I don't own silk socks but you, wait do,
1: you do own some tweed
0: I do I have one tweed jacket all right I don't, I don't wear Respect. it all that often it, it's actually it's a nice jacket and I, I only really wear it if I'm like going out to like a nice dinner or something but yeah I have, a, I have a tweed jacket
1: oh I'm I'm down I would totally wear an old tweed suit I'm I'm all over it man um, I'd lap s- up that old 50 60 style no problem
0: so I know we, okay, let's, I want to at least ask these questions so I, so I can get them out there. Do you have a favorite scene or shot?
1: I think it's towards the end. I do love the tracking shot after she confesses that she's called the police Yeah, and it, and it follows her around the room. Now, even her performance is manipulated in that because she performed the scene much more intense and you can kind of see it on her face that she yeah. is being more intense than what the actual re-recorded dialogue sounds like so yeah. he manages even to fuck up what i think is the best shot in the movie
0: yeah
1: um he yeah, being godar yeah,
0: <laughs> yes uh yeah that is that is a good shot i know i at least scene wise i do i i do <sighs> actually okay so actually i think my favorite scene and it's gonna double with um, an unsung hero. My favorite scene is when he's trying to um, sell that hot car to that one guy, and the guy is very aware of who he is. Um, I actually have the name here. Uh, hold on one second. Um, his name is Claude Monsard. He is the used car salesman, um, and he and I, I like. I like. He's very subtle. He's like, no, 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 no. No. Here's how much you're gonna get because I know who you are, and I like that he's fucking with him. It's he's, it's one of the few people who, in a way, stands up to him, which I appreciate because Michelle's a pile of shit. Um, and I like that it kind of it's like it's the most, for a lack of a better word, interested I was in the movie because like now he's actually kind of facing a problem, and we have to see how he's going to manage it.
1: Um. I am with you on the first half of that scene on on the 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 second side of it, you know, the the used car salesman just kind of lets him rifle through his desk and then allows himself to get beat up and have money stolen off him. He's like and Michelle's like you're going to pay for my cab and then he runs off with the money that he's stolen from. Him. Oh, yeah, come on, man, stand stand up to this punk kid. You, you, and then yeah. that that leads into just another section of the film that I just irritated the living piss out of me. He's in the cab. He's like giving the cab driver a bunch of shit about the way he's driving. And then he makes the cabbie stop so that he can go pull up a woman's dress and then run away. I'm like, what? Again, it, I just kept, I kept writing it over and over again. What is happening here? What kind of decisions are these? Not from a character standpoint, but from a, from a director standpoint, like what, what are we doing here, man?
0: I dude, I wish, I honestly wish I had a good answer to that question.
1: Well, as uh, talking about directors, uh, uh, both of us, I mean, you may be a little more passionately than I am, but I don't know, maybe not. We both love Tarantino. Hard not yeah. to. Adore Tarantino. How do you feel about the, the, in my research, that's constantly all I could find was there would be no Tarantino if there was no Breathless and no Godard. And I, I, I stopped after I read it for about the eighth time and went, well, would there be though? Do you guys really honestly believe that? Like I get, I can see bits of it in Pulp Fiction and bits of it in, in Reservoir Dogs, but Tarantino to me is, is far more influenced by exploitation films.
0: Well, okay, I so think the
1: French new wave, his dialogue is very French new wave, but his aesthetic is exploitation films.
0: Here, here's what I would say. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a little bit. I'm going to put my teacher hat on as I'm, as I'm in the midst of, of teaching right now. Um, one of the books that we, uh, we're reading from right now is this great book called The Director Prepares. Um, and the woman who wrote her, her name is Anne Bogart. And I watched an interview with her before I uh, started teaching this this quarter. And she totally admits to being, she's not an innovator. She goes, she's a scavenger. She takes other people's ideas and she tries to use them in, in her own way. She, she openly admits to it. And it, it goes in line with something I heard before, which I really like, which is called Hacks, Borrow, Geniuses, Steal. And so... So I think the idea, I think the the thesis statement of there would be no Tarantino without Godard and Breathless is just fucking absurd. Not because it didn't help influence him, but because Tarantino, like many of the greats, is a student of film. Our version of Tarantino might be slightly altered if Breathless and and Godard didn't really exist. But Tarantino would still be around. The way that his mind works, the way that he takes the bits and pieces of things that he likes and then makes them his own, he'd still be making films. Would they be slightly different? Maybe. But I think it's I think it's pure i you know what I'm gonna use. It's I think it's pure poppycock to say that there would be no Tarantino without Breathless. I think that is horse shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll take that opening coffee shop in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, just, just a whole movie of that, yeah. Just, just show me that scene on loop for an hour before <laughs> I'll watch Breathless again. And uh, I, I, I did have one sort of. I don't necessarily want to wrap up the episode. I mean, there are there are definitely a few more things that we can bring up. But, but before I forget, I just my sort of end thought when I got to to the end of my notes and the end of this film is like Eight and a Half. I think this is a film, maybe not at the time when it was made, this probably was not the intention, I guarantee you it wasn't the intention, but this now seems, in retrospect, like a film for filmmakers, not necessarily for general audiences. And uh, my my sort of subpar, my, my next line, when I was sort of, ruminating on that and and taking that note was i think the film needs to be renamed it's uh it shouldn't be breathless it should be exhausted
0: <laughs> well Cause, that's interesting cause because i because i was exhausted because the um i know the translation isn't quite literal i know it, uh about de souffle is is out of breath um
1: or or out of puff was the other one i saw yeah, which is yeah. great as well
0: um which and that's that's so funny i think that's that's a Man, exhausted. Yes, the the true title of Breathless. I, I could not agree with you more, and I also appreciate just the little dig at it too. I think that's great.
1: So honestly, I think one of the best things that's come out of this is, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna bring up a Kristen Stewart movie. Uh, I in reading about gene seberg and her sort of traumatic life that she led some of it brought on by herself but it seems like there were outside influences as well the fbi were constantly hounding her for her relationships with the the black panthers and she did lose a child uh prematurely i think the child was born two months early and then and then subsequently died a few days later and she would try to commit suicide uh every day on the anniversary of the child's death until eventually uh, it is believed that she did commit suicide. It seems like there may be, in some people's minds, a little bit of foul play with her death, but it's, it's at this time anyway, been ruled a suicide. I am very interested in seeing the uh, Amazon original movie now, where Kristen Stewart is going to be playing Seaberg. I don't know if that's on your radar at all, if you've heard about that.
0: I have not heard about that at all. That that's interesting. Yeah, that
1: should be should be dropping on Prime uh, within the next month or two, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, uh, we're we're at an hour. I didn't know if that was the the thought you wanted to go out on if there's anything else you wanted to bring up. Are there any are there we talked about favorite shots or favorite scenes. Are there any in amongst all the shitting on dialogue that we did, is there any lines of dialogue that jumped out at you that you did actually enjoy?
0: I mean, I, I certainly wrote a lot of it down but a lot of it was I'm more, I'm just kind of baffled that this was in in the script women drivers are cowardice personified why oh, don't you, you wear a bra i never want to see you again get lost you make me want to puke it uh, what what is this what what am yeah, i yeah just his
1: his constant belittling and berating of her it made me it made me stop and go you know I want to I want to sympathize with Patricia I really do want to care about her but it's it seems like the way that she's allowing herself to be treated by this guy uh, even even very passive aggressively with her some uh, very aggressively but also very passive aggressively she tries to talk to him about something intellectual and she asks him hey do you know who Faulkner is and he goes what is that another guy you've slept with like oh dude. Can you fucking knock it off for a second? But she she succumbs to him anyway. I did take that note after that huge, long sequence where they're in bed together. I'm like, if she sleeps with this guy, I'm fucking out. And then literally not even six seconds after I wrote that down, she sleeps with him. Yeah. And so she's just another... And again, I don't want to broadly generalize, and and forgive me if this seems politically incorrect, but she's just another young, dumb American girl abroad that gets seduced by a, a sort of European huckster.
0: Well, and 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 she, it, it's it's. I mean, I I I would agree with that, and and it's tough to to sympathize with her because there's the scene later on where they're trying to they can't be in that car anymore, and she says, "Let's steal the Cadillac," and she's now. Like in not only embracing but s- seemingly becoming excited to be a part of the crime of of the escapade, and so then why do we? So then it's like, well, then I'm confused because like, okay, so now she's she wants to be a part of it, and then I'm even more baffled when she turns on him because it's like, wait, did you just did you just want to feel this feeling for a little bit, and then no no no, now that's too much, and I'm gone. Because then, then I've, now I've kind of lost all respect for her. And I don't know if you want to give any discussion to that whole, you know, the last bit of dialogue in the movie. And whether, you know, it's the whole thing where, um, what do I have here? So I have, Michelle says, it's disgusting, really. She says, what did he say? And Vital says, he says, you're a real scumbag. And she says, what's a scumbag? Versus the Criterion restoration that says, he says, makes me want to puke. She says, "What did he say?" He said, "You make him want to puke." And she goes, "What's that mean, puke?" I do I do like
1: well, well, doing the the Bogart move that he does throughout the film touching his lips and then, you know, staring very directly into camera so that she knows that, you know, we know that she's talking to us, which I I hate so aberrantly.
0: Yeah. I but I do like the idea that makes me want to puke. It, that 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 sentence that we that he acts that that he says in that version is open ended, right? He could be talking about her. He could be talking about the cops or the situation, and you know whatever, and or or that, even that,
1: himself. I yeah, I I I would like to think of it. Maybe he's talking about himself.
0: You you'd like to think that way. We can. I I'd almost guarantee. God it I it I, 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 gar- not.
1: I guarantee you, it's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would, and also I would respect this ending so much more if a couple of things that Godard wanted had been left in, like Truffaut convinced him to take out a moment where the cops pull their guns on him after he's picked up the gun, and one of them says, shoot him in the spine. He's like, you can't have the cops be that merciless. I was like, I I would actually kind of respect the cops a little bit more if they had been that violent. And then two, she was supposed to rifle through his pockets after he's laying there dying on the street. And again, that's another decision that I would kind of respect a little bit more that now she is taking on. She's at least... Learn something from the situation, even if it's the wrong thing to learn. Which is now she is is becoming a thief of sorts.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the cops being ruthless. I mean, I I mean, I'm the 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 immediate movie that comes to mind is. Is the fugitive when later in the movie they believe Harrison Ford has killed a cop and you see the cops start to get like like fuck that like you know they get all pissy with with Tommy Lee Jones and they're like no 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 this guy's going down because they're under the assumption that he's killed a cop and in a way I, I wanted to see more ruthlessness from the cops I mean they're trying to track down a cop killer like you'd think they'd be a little more fucking pissed off and gung ho.
1: Now we should say for our listeners we are not endorsing police violence and police brutality, but
0: no, no, in no. the
1: context in the context of the movie. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I would have respected the decision to leave that in, especially because he shoots the motorcycle cop for no goddamn good reason. Yeah, like it, fuck yeah, this totally. punk. He gets what he deserves.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, in terms of in terms of getting what we deserve, I think maybe are we there? Are we at question time?
1: I think we're at question time, sir. Okay.
0: So, Ian, should Breathless be in the book?
1: Now, this is kind of a loaded question because I do understand its place in history. I get it. I I do. If if you feel like this film started a movement and you feel like it is important and you do feel like Godard did something that was out of the ordinary okay yet, I get it. Maybe it is something that we all need to see and sort of try to appreciate or or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have the reaction that that Adam and I have had to it. But honestly, I've seen a few other French films now that I think are are more deserving of being in the book. There are, there are, there are two that I would easily replace this with without thinking twice. Uh, the first one is is my recommend at the top of the episode was Elevator the Gallows. I would put that in. It's a great, as I mentioned, a great little crime film doing a great job of doing something that was new, unique at the time as well, was with balancing those multiple storylines. But there's also, from a few years earlier in 1955, there's a little heist film called Rafifi, which is also oh. in the Criterion Collection. Do you, is, tell is, me you've seen Rafifi. Is Rafifi not in the book? It is not. I, again, I think like Elevator to the Gallows, I think it was at one point, but that has that incredibly intense 30 minute dialogue less sequence where they're they're roping in and, and stealing uh, you know what it is they they're, they're the big high sequence, which is so detailed that it was in fact banned in a few countries uh, because people were worried about copycat thieves and things like that. And I don't think I honestly don't think that we would have filmmakers like Michael Mann if there was no Rafifi. Yeah. which again, we talked about, maybe there would be a Michael Mann like there would be a Tarantino, which <laughs> yeah. is maybe not the Michael Mann that we come to know and love, or at least I come to know and love anyway, because I think he's one of the, the 10 greatest filmmakers of all time. Latter-day transgressions aside, but I mean, Heat is the yardstick. That's the crime film I measure all others against, and I don't yeah. think Heat would be as great, or his first film, Thief, without something like Rafifi.
0: Yeah, Rafifi was a part of my, uh, my, my birthday gift to me uh, is the weekend after my birthday i i I get my my parents to watch the girls for the weekend and I just go all out I spend basically three days only watching movies and and
1: so th- this this past one you just saw Rafifi for the first yeah, time yeah oh man I'm so excited for you I fucking love that movie one of yeah, the no, all time great heist movies
0: it was great I definitely enjoyed it um I'm so and i'm you know I'm glad that you went um uh, well, Rafifi is also a crime movie, so that, that makes sense, too. But I, I like that you stuck with with like keeping a French movie in there. I didn't. Um, but you know how I mentioned to you that I uh, I did a double feature last night, and uh, we watched Le Samurai, and my replacement, which I, I know we've at least talked about in passing on the pod, but I just double-checked, and I don't think either of us have used it as a recommend, and um, I don't believe either of us have used it as a replacement. I will cut out this dead air. while I quickly check this. Is it brick? N- it is not brick. Um, my replacement But I
1: I th- I think we agree that brick should be in the book anyway. Sorry, go ahead and Oh yeah, and no, do brick should be in the book.
0: My replacement is drive.
1: Oh man, that's so goddamn good. I should have thought of that. Um and cuz I, I I don't think there's I don't think there's a Refn movie in the book.
0: There's not. There's
1: not. Oh, I, oh god, I love winding Refn.
0: And and you know, after after La Samurai, I knew I knew that I wanted to watch it again, and I knew that whenever I got to it, if possible, I wanted to do a double feature with Drive, just because thematically there seemed to be a lot of a lot of similarities there. And a really glad I watched those two movies last night. And b Drive is just so fucking good. It's it's cinematically really really great to watch i love the the stylistically the choices that get made um i think gosling is is great in it and just like the entire cast i mean the entire cast it, like, you know, it's like you've got you like equated to pitching terms, right? Gosling throws like a perfect game through seven innings. And then, you know, you've got like, Albert Brooks comes in and like cleans up and then you've got Cranston, too. And like fucking Ron per- I mean, everybody in the movie is is fantastic. Brooks Brooks is haunting
1: in that movie. And if yeah. Carey Mulligan doesn't break your heart, I don't I don't know what to tell you.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I even love Oscar Isaac's little role, too. Yeah. He no- I think that was the movie that introduced. Like I, I'd, I'd probably seen him in other things. Like I know the year before he was in Ridley Scott's Robin Hood movie, but that was the movie where I'm like, this guy, I have to see everything this guy ding, is. Ding ding ding! Yeah,
0: me too, me too. Um, so yeah, it's it's fresh in my mind. I'm so glad I watched it last night, and that's a movie that's never gonna not be a movie that I want to watch. And I love the, oh, the fuck, man! I
1: might, I might watch, I might watch drive as soon as we're done recording this, man. I fuck, I haven't seen it in a couple of years and I just <laughs> fucking love drive. It's and also fucking we good. need to, uh, our short list of directors where we're doing ranking the filmography. I think we need to consider winding, uh, winding ref an episode.
0: I would be interested in that because it's, it's only this and Bronson.
1: Those are the only two I've seen. Oh dude, you haven't seen only God forgives or nope. Valhalla rising. Nope val valhalla rising is like Refn is you know i've talked about films that i'm i'm jealous of films that if i was a filmmaker they're the type of movies that i'd want to make like brick and i mentioned dead man shoes a couple episodes back as well but i dude i want to be winding Refn he makes the kind of movies that i would want to make
0: yeah just
1: yeah. just the right balance and i know there's very few people that would agree with me, but just the for me, especially in something like Only God Forgives, there's just the right balance of style versus substance. Maybe leaning a little more on the stylistic side, but there's enough substance to justify it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. And really Tom, like Tom
1: Hardy's Tom Hardy's performance. Is, sorry, I'm I'm walking all over your your replacement here. I apologize, but you just <laughs> no, you got funny. me so you got me so giddy, man. I just want to talk about Reffin all fucking day. Tom Hardy's performance in Bronson. Mwah. Oh yeah. Perfect.
0: Yeah. That, that's a, that is a fucking performance right there. It, that, I, I, I funny. quote
1: him on a, a basis that it should, I should be, I should be committed. Honestly.
0: Um, it's, it's funny. You mentioned, you mentioned the movies that you're, 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 you're bummed that you didn't make, like the kind of movies you want to make. Bronson is the kind of performance I'm like, I would, Oh my God. That's a like to be. Hey, we're putting Bronson on stage. Can you like we're casting you? Like I would start. I would be drooling at the opportunity to do it. It's it's so good. It's so fucking good.
1: Uh, That that scene where he makes the security guard like oil him up before he knows he's gonna get you know into a fight with all those guys. Get it on my back, you slag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, that movie. Uh, That's it. That's the rest of my day. I'm just watching Widen Refin movies all day. Boom
0: boom well hey there so there you go it's it's i mean to be honest like pre pre-watching this is a surprising no from i, I would say from both of us um but hell you got you got a couple of, of good recommends at the top of the episode you've got a couple of good replacements so you know if nothing else we're going to give you some things to watch that we do think are, are valuable to your time Um. But of course, we always want to know what you think, so please, I cannot wait for people to yell at us as to why we're wrong about Breathless, and I can't wait yeah, to Yeah, let's engage. let's get into it, man. So, so please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. You can find us on Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Um, we are uh, excited to continue on this this journey of, of of watching movies. We are getting to our first Robert Altman film next week a movie I've never seen and it is also kind of critically lauded so we'll see if it lives up in our estimation um, and what a cast on this thing man I cannot wait yeah that, that's gonna take us four minutes to read the whole goddamn cast of that movie um, but which movie we're not saying yet <laughs> but, but um, until our, our Altman film coming up I am Adam and I am Ian and we will see you next week